So, Al, you've been sharing about your ministry at First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And the next question I would like to ask is if you could just describe more about how that lay counseling ministry functioned, for example, the training that was involved and also the scheduling of appointments. As uh, you may recall from the last time we talked, uh, we had a very rudimentary beginning, like two months of training and and uh, the exchange life in two months of, uh, of training and listening and counseling skills. And it was just amazing uh, that when we did take this over in the counseling center, uh, it was amazing how the Holy Spirit worked through these people. And, of course, there were 36, and uh, we had to do some weeding out. There were some that were not qualified, and uh, we didn't know them before, and so we couldn't deal with it at that point. But uh, we ended, I guess, with about 25 counselors. and. Uh, Mm-hmm. The council in the in, in the counseling center, they use the offices, and we developed some offices upstairs. Uh, in addition, and um, when we had to overflow, we went next door to to another program over there, and we used their building. And uh, we focused on the the initial training, and then monthly ongoing training. And uh, that I think is essential, and also. Mm-hmm. That uh, they they had we we the lay council I, I had uh, my staff counselors training and uh, uh, supervising them and the, the supervision is essential someone that mm-hmm. they could can relate to and can put them on the right track if they seem to be going the wrong way and so and then the mm-hmm. third thing that I think is essential is that they personally are walking in the spirit and in the truths that they're mm-hmm. teaching. And uh, it's not easy to get a person to that place. First, they have to have the heart for it. And uh, I, I've learned that it's not enough to hear it from a pulpit, if good as that is and as important as that is. But if, if, if in a small group settings or one-on-one settings, people learn much, much better and begin to make it their own. And uh, it just uh, was a wonderful experience and I, I wish I could say I did all of this I didn't I had a very talented staff and uh, the, each one contributed their own to the program and continued contributing uh, through all that through supervision and training ongoing training so that I think well, that personally is, is very important um, but, that's a good uh, helpful insight there about the role of supervision. Was the staff counselor given a certain number of specific uh, lay counselors to supervise, or was it oh, yes. more yes. spontaneous? Yes, they, 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 each staff person took on so many counselors, and they would meet with them weekly. And they were to be available any time there was a need. And so that... Wonderful. That, uh, mm. Yeah, and it really, it really was... Uh, a workable model, and uh, again, uh, I, one of the, uh, the very important things in the beginning was that my wife, Shirley, stepped in. We had no money and we had no staff to work with in the beginning until I took over as director, And but my wife had an uncanny knack of matching people up, lay counselors and the the need of the client coming in. She had a way of sensing that. 
and that was so important, and uh, that you, the people were placed with the right person. But um, and this anyway. this is probably an obvious thing to to observe, but I assume that that she would match men with men and women with women. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. On occasion, on occasion, uh, with special circumstances, we might not follow that, but we have used ordinarily that was the case. And uh, yes. obviously, in a program like this, it seemed like you uh, you usually ended up with more women than men. We were blessed to have a good division of both men and women in the beginning. And like I said, we had 36 in the beginning, and we weeded that down. And, uh, you know, we did it in a kindly way, but uh, we had to be very, very uh, direct and, you know, tell the person you're not, they couldn't, they're not able to handle it. And we'd try to place them somewhere else if we could, some other ministry. Because there's... There's also a commitment involved because you're describing the initial training, but then after that, there's um, the weekly supervision, the the monthly ongoing training, and then whether they have the maturity and gifting for that role. Right, exactly. Mm. And uh, in the beginning also, until just uh, my retirement, uh, we had paper copies of everything we taught, and uh, each counselor had a copy of that. and. so they 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 were to you know we encouraged them to continue to go over it and make it their own, and I, I think most of them have done that. So it's an ongoing good program because I had I was so blessed to have a good staff that were mm-hmm. godly men and women. I had both, and uh, and I think I mentioned to you uh, the other day that one of my um, male counselors is still counseling. Since and the first, he was in the first class in 1988, and he's still there. I'm well, praise amazed. the Lord, brother. Now, you you mentioned uh, the actual counseling sessions. Were they at the church, and were they in the evenings mostly? In the beginning, when you you recall, I, in the beginning, this was the program was developed for the discipleship evangelism department under Jack Stiles. And they, they, their goal was that they would have someone walking with and encouraging someone. Well, you don't. The the people that came in were had needs, deep, deep, deep needs. And so when we took it over, then uh, the, the, one of the first things I did is I went to my director and asked, and I almost insisted I very strongly asked him if we could use the counseling center after hours. And so we counseled in the evenings and uh, sometimes on weekends, Saturdays, but not often. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, and each each, each had a, a counseling room that was had the atmosphere of counseling. And I think that's important if you can have that. Uh, if you can't, yeah. you just make do with what you have. <clears throat> and it was well. usually one, one uh Discipleship counselor with one client. Yes. Yes. And would there sometimes be a marital context where the husband and wife are both coming in for help? Well, we developed that program later, where uh, we had premarital training and uh, marital counseling, and uh, counselors who were specially trained for that. And uh, very often they would train, they would counsel in their homes. Uh, and it worked. 
if it's very comfortable, you know, they sit on the couch or in the living room or whatever, if if they had the mm-hmm. privacy. Or, you know, it, it, not always, but that that happened very often. Mm-hmm. Um, Alice seems like a, an excellent example of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And uh, how encouraging when people know Christ as their Savior, Lord, and life, and are willing to be equipped with this kind of training initially and ongoing supervision uh, to be involved in this kind of personal ministry that's not only discipleship, but really counseling in the sense of seeing some of these uh, uh, more deep problems resolved. Would uh, a case or two come to your mind, examples of how God used the ministry over the years in terms of individual cases? Uh, well, I, I can tell you in my own my own personal counseling you know, that I'm aware of, uh, sure. very often I would see people one time, two times, and when I retired, it was just amazing to me. And I know God did this to encourage me. People would call me, said, you won't remember me, but I came in to see you back in whatever. And my whole life changed. And uh, they talk, then would talk about their their life in Christ and how it had saved their marriage or it had saved them personally and what have you. And it was on, in so many cases, it was ongoing. Praise the Lord. Kind of change, yeah. And I know that lay counselors uh, got the same kind of reaction. I I can't remember specific cases back then of a particular person, but I do know James Clark is the guy that I just told you about that's still there. He's uh, he sells uh, commercial real estate and he's very wealthy off of it, and uh, he he's. He is still counseling, and when I got a real tough, tough case with with uh, pornography or something like that, I would turn him over to James, and James had a way of working with these these men that was just mm-hmm. phenomenal. And he still is doing that. He and his wife are doing marriage counseling. It seems uh, that as you would have your your staff meetings with your staff counseling department, uh, there would probably be reports from the lay counselees, uh, rather the lay counselors they were supervising about how God was using them and validating the ministry and working people's lives. So that must have been very encouraging. Well, what we did was when we would get together as a staff and have our weekly staff meetings, and then monthly we would get together with the, with the lay counselors but we would talk about the problems that we were encountering and what we needed to do to overcome and what have you. Um, one one specific area that was very difficult was children. And I found, found someone that was really good working with kids. And But we would get together and talk about where the problems that we saw and what we needed to do to correct it. And here's one thing also that, that I think is very important. There are legal ramifications in all of this. We were never, never threatened with any kind of suit or anything like that, not, not once. But we we took pains to make sure we were staying within the law. And uh, in the very beginning, I tried. I called all over the country trying to find a place that a church that had a, a policies and procedures manual. Nobody had one, and so we wrote our own. And uh, we uh, talked to a number of uh, 
attorneys and uh and over the years every year that would it would be added to and corrected and added to and i don't know what you know i'm certain they're still keeping that up it was very important because there are people would sue you know churches but we were like i said we were blessed we never had a threat of it so one of the reasons was that we took pains to stay within the law that we we we, we sought uh, people who could direct us, and there's a there's a legal organization in Florida. I can't remember the name of them, but uh, it's Christian, and uh, we leaned heavily on them. And I I could dig up the information for you on their, where they are and what they are. But uh, we we everything we did we got free. You know they did it for us. It was a ministry for them, and uh, we. And another thing, too, that was important, we trained them to recognize when they were beyond their ability. They had someone that needed a psychiatrist. Now, I don't believe in very many psychiatrists, but we had one or two. We had a couple that we had a lot of confidence in. They were Christians. And when we got to to a case like bipolar or whatever, we tried to train them to recognize these syndromes and and uh refer them and uh <clears throat> i think that was important that they 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 could look at what they're de- doing and say i can't handle this and uh that took a lot of uh, humility and and uh understanding so that's all part of the training too so while sometimes they would um, have a case that they felt was beyond their skill level uh, and experience as lay counselors, and sometimes would they be referred to the staff counselor, and in some cases even the staff counselor would refer them to maybe a medical professional? Right, and very often we would the, the person that we had uh, placing the lay counselors uh, would work together with the staff counselor, uh, the staff receptionist. When they had a, one, one or the other came across someone that that would fit in either side of the program, they would recommend that. So it, it worked mm-hmm. out real well. And uh, I guess you could have could have one person doing all of that, but that was pretty he- heavy. We had six staff counselors, and um, which isn't that all that large, but it was it's a, a fistful when you're dealing with them, you know, on that level. It it, it it worked out real well. When we needed a staff counselor, we gave him to a staff counselor. Simple as that. We just that was up to the receptionist to recognize that. And like I said in the beginning, my wife was volunteering, and I couldn't get over how uncanny she was in being mm-hmm. able to spot the problems and where they needed to go. And she didn't have any special training in that area. That was all all of the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. The Lord gave her that discernment. When someone comes in and fills in the initial paperwork and describes their problem, is that where the receptionist will look over that information and then make that initial um, decision in terms of the the level of counseling skill required and and maybe what would be a good match? Was there there an initial um, assessment visit to determine a person's... uh, um, best counseling scenario? Yes, it was in, in the beginning, I guess throughout most of the program, uh, the initial contact was the staff receptionist. And uh, when she would uh, 
refer them over to to the lay counseling program. We we were blessed with a, just a wonderful counseling center. It was an antebellum house across the street from the church, and it had two entrances, and both entrances had reception rooms. And uh, so one we used for lay counseling, the other we used for, for the counselors. That was while we were downtown. But when we moved north, we had our own own facilities. And we used That's the lay counseling was uh, all over the building, actually. So now, for for those who aren't familiar with uh, the size of the congregation back in those days, you mentioned, you know, perhaps twenty-five trained lay counselors, maybe six, six or seven staff counselors. What would be the size of those attending First Baptist Atlanta in those days? What was the size of the congregation? Well, when yeah. we were downtown. We had two services, and the church was packed. It held 2,500 people. And mm-hmm. so it was packed out, both both services. I'll tell you one other thing that we got into later in that respect. Small churches that couldn't afford to put together their own program, we would do the training for them. We would fit their people into our initial training, and they were free to come in for the monthly training. And I'm, I think I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but I think that was very effective for some smaller churches, and they might end up with one or two or three counselors, you know, something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, lay counselors, and uh, the training then came came out of our our church. The Sorry. church had a vision to help to help the body of Christ at large, uh, even beyond your own congregation. That's really neat. You know, we were so blessed. That we have our materials spread all over the country. We never asked anything for it. It was always, it was the the whole purpose was to God's glory, and uh, so we never charged for anything. And sometimes with with the the other churches, we might they might have given us something for materials and things like that, but most often nothing. And uh, that was a gift from First Baptist. And uh, Dr. Stanley was very generous that way. He allowed me to do that. So it, it was. I, I I just loved the program, and and uh, was kind of jealous of it when I left. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, but uh, we used to in the beginning we would have the lay counselors come over to our house. We'd take them in batches of maybe three or four. We were living in Stone Mountain in the beginning, and uh, they would come over and have dinner with us, and we would uh, socialize with them and get close to them, and, uh, mm-hmm. and would work all through all the counselors like that. There, eventually, everybody would come over. But it, I thought it was important, and Shirley did too, that we got close to each other. And you had that uh, family atmosphere, that uh, ongoing mentoring relationship with them. That wasn't just a program, was it? It was really a network of vital relationships as it was. It you was encouraged in the them to live out the message. It was in the beginning, but when we were at uh, the, the North uh, Campus, when we moved, uh, we lost that. It wasn't as personal, let's put it that way. And uh, mm-hmm. it got got to be larger and more complex. We were teaching them more and stuff like that, and, and uh, it became... A pr- another program, and uh, I think that's the death of the church. Really, we have too many programs, and not enough of Jesus. 
So so we need to caution that it's not just a, a collection of policies and materials. It's really Christ-like being expressed to the it people is. that are involved. And uh, I'm sure a reason you. why it was fruitful. Well, you know that if if you're counseling in the flesh, you can teach all kinds of stuff that won't have any real impact. But it's when the person is really walking in the what they're teaching that if they can really be effective because the Holy Spirit is doing it. And uh, I, I could see that over and over and over. That's why I was effective. They were good people. They got close and they were living it. Most of them were anyway. I can, can't say that for everybody. I'm not that familiar, but uh, for the most part. When you when you speak of the, the monthly ongoing training, was that, let's say, on a Saturday morning or a weeknight? Do you remember like the Wednesday, specifics? Wednesday night, usually. Mm-hmm. Not always. You know, sometimes we did a more complex training. We'd have Thursday, Thursday night, Friday and Saturday. Friday was a day off for the church with the staff pastors. And uh, actually, that was the only day I had in the beginning to to work on the lay counseling was Friday. So I didn't get a day off in the beginning, but it was just simply, you know, working with that program. But generally, if we wanted to do something, the church was closed down, practically speaking, on Friday. So that was a good time to do some training, too. Uh, would you recall, Al, how many uh, sessions would be typical for a, a client that comes in and maybe is assigned to a lay counselor uh, or even the staff counselor? Would there be a maybe an average number of weekly sessions that, that you would calculate? I sure was so. I'd say three months was a, uh average. I think overall it was about three months, and sometimes it was very, it was brief. You know, they came in for a couple of couple of sessions, and they felt like they got what they were looking for, and they didn't come back. But um, so, so it could be a range from from a couple of sessions. You mentioned that some people would come to you and and say they were celebrating what God did in their life, even though they you only saw them a couple of times, and God opened their eyes to their their victory in Christ, and and, uh, they went on their way rejoicing, so to speak. But other times it would be maybe two or three months. I I don't know how many people like that called or or wrote to me, and I I couldn't remember them. I don't remember names that well, and as I've gotten older especially. But that was so, so encouraging, and it was like my whole life was turned around. Well, what turned them around was the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, yeah. And you, when you begin to think you did that, forget it, you know. Right. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate counselor, and we get the privilege of cooperating with him, don't we? Uh, we're the instrument. And uh, that, that's why it's so important that the, the, the counselor is walking in the truth. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and what a blessing when, from the... From the pulpit, you know, the message of Galatians 2.20 and our identity in Christ and grace is being preached, that uh, certainly creates a supportive atmosphere, doesn't it? And then it seems to me the staff counseling and the lay counseling would be more of a personalization process. Right. And when he was preaching on Sunday or during the 80s, and then we got into the training, it, it complemented what he was saying from the pulpit, yes. 
Indeed. Speaking of that message, Al, much of what is thought of as biblical counseling is about applying biblical commands or or concepts to change people's behavior, and it's more admonishing people to change. Um, and it seems that what we're saying is that um, there are certain ingredients, we might say, about the message of the late counseling and staff counseling program that, that you've been describing. What would you say would be some of the the truths that you would emphasize in your counseling training program. Christ indwells us. The Holy Spirit and the person, the person of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit indwells us. And not only does He indwell us, we have no other life other than Him. He is our life, and that to me is just astounding. Even when I think about it now, that you know, look at Galatians 2:20. You know, I've died. But my life is in him now, and uh, it's just amazing. And so I think that's very important that they they grab hold of that truth. And uh, what would you uh, you referred in a, another conversation about our identity in Christ? What would you say would be the role about our identity in Christ in the teaching? Basically, what we're talking about that I'm I'm identified with him in the sense that I recognize that. Uh, my identity is is based on the fact that he is my life, and as long as I, as I am walking in the truth, and 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 I have surrendered myself to him, he is living through me, and I am totally identified with him. It's not me; it is him, and that's the the secret of the the program, really, is that uh, you, you're not the one; he is the one. And my identity is in my own. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is my life. I mean, you look at Galatians 2.20, it even it concludes, if you look at uh, the King James Version, which I like for that verse, it says that we live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not even my faith. He imparts faith to me. He imparts life to me. And uh, I have to tap into that to benefit by it. And that's where I, I think the greatest weakness of the church today is they don't have a clue of that. And I've been working with a group of men at uh, Roswell Street, discipling on Wednesday nights, but they would all say the same thing. How, how come I haven't heard this before? How come I haven't heard this before? It's very basic stuff when you look at the Scripture. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's right there in Paul's letters, isn't it? Yeah, very clear. Mm-hmm. But uh, how many times did I read that and not see it? See, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't. Would you believe I didn't even get saved until forty-six years old? I was eight years out of the priesthood, and I got saved out in California. Now, you tell me, <laughs> I had so much religion thrown at me, you know, up at, up to that point, but no, the truth just went right over my head, and I was teaching people the same way I was taught. So the church, I think, is missing so much because they don't understand these truths. They they just don't grab hold of them. And I think you're, the reason for it is, is the teachers are not walking in it. It's not taught in mm-hmm. seminary. Mm. You have such 
uh, such a fascinating journey, Al, um, having been in the Roman Catholic priesthood eight years later, <clears throat> receiving Christ as your personal Savior, having what Chuck Swindoll would call a grace awakening about salvation. But then uh, when you went to uh, receive personal counseling in Colorado and, and you were introduced in more detail to the Galatians 2.20 message, then you had an additional discovery, didn't you? Exactly. It was amazing. The thing that was so amazing is we could only see her once a month, and we were turned. Our lives were turned around completely. It was just amazing. And then I learned more when I went to Grace Ministries, and uh, that's where I really put the cap on it. Was when I was there. God has been a really blessed us just immensely that He's exposed mm-hmm. us to a lot of good, 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 good stuff. You know, and that so many people miss. But you're you're in that category, and I mean, you know, you you know this to be true. I'm sure, isn't that true? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's um, such an important um, testimony and ministry that we need to promote, and that's why I'm so grateful for your willingness to have have this phone call. Um, how about if I I ask Al if if you were to be speaking to a, a pastor that may be listening is concerned about the people in his church struggling with various problems, and maybe he even feels kind of overwhelmed about how can he help them. What would you say to him about the role of the exchange life in pastoral counseling or or his role as a as a minister? What would you recommend to him? Golly, well, uh, that's a question. Tell, tell him about the basic principles of, of uh, our life in Christ. And the importance of walking in that, and when we're missing that, we're really missing Christianity, the blessings of Christianity. And he needs to to, to turn his his life towards that if he wants to see his people grow. Uh, Amen. I'd be so happy to talk to anybody like that. Yes. Excellent. So it needs to start in in uh, their personal life, not not just a program that they implement, but it's a personal relationship this abiding life, uh, this Christ living through us. Um, and then it should show up in preaching, like we, we mentioned Charles Stanley's and, and others, but also uh, at the personal level, um, it needs to be applied to pastoral counseling, doesn't it? Yes, yes. But see, the first thing has to be that the pastor sees the truth and begins to walk in it. Once he does that, then his whole church ministry is going to change. I, that's my opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I think I know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's so much I don't. Know. <laughs> well, well, you've got 88 years of uh, pilgrimage behind you, so we respect what God has been teaching you over the years. But you know, Colossians 1:27 talks about the, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And of course, it's an open mystery. It's right there in Scripture. But maybe it's because we are so distracted by the responsibilities and the obligations we have. It often takes a sense of brokenness or or uh, a, a hunger, you know, for the 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 meat of the word, the deeper things of the Lord. That that this paradigm shift of our union with Christ comes into focus, and and we have the privilege of seeing that happen over the years with pastors. I've been so blessed over the years as I've seen what God has done at First Baptist Atlanta in the the Lake Counseling Program to see that it's not just at the pastoral pulpit level or the pastoral counseling level, but it's also at the equipping of the saints level that 
that uh, men and women who love the Lord can be equipped with this message. Um, Al, if, if someone um, who loves the Lord and, and maybe has had this, uh, what Hudson Taylor called an exchange life discovery about Galatians 2.20 and our union with Christ and wants to help others, especially in, in the context of problem solving, let's call it late counseling, what counsel would you give them in terms of helping others, just like over a cup of coffee, um, just being involved well, in helping others with this message? Well, I've recommended to some people that they go to First Baptist counseling and talk to them, see if they can get into the training program. They have to be a member of the church to participate. But uh, I don't know if any of them have taken me up on it, but they need to go to some place where they can get the training, and that's the only place I'm aware of right now. That's that. It's not that it's not being done in other places. I'm just not aware of where it is. Mm-hmm. I've been out of pocket for a while, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting old, John. <laughs> I'm not getting old, I am old. <laughs> well, of course, your focus has been on, on the work in Atlanta, and that's why uh, we wanted to learn from your experience there and we just thank you so much for your testimony, Al, you and Shirley. Uh, we rejoice in how God has, has used you both over the years. And uh, the uh, the policy manual that you and your team put together, you've shared a copy with us at Grace Fellowship. And uh, that's a wealth of, of wisdom and guidance. And uh, we see that there's some cross-pollination from some of the various Grace Ministries and then what your staff developed. And it's a wonderful resource. Have those policies and procedures. and um, you know, as as a ministry, Grace Fellowship International, we feel a stewardship, you know, with uh, what people like you uh, and your team have developed. Um, other churches in the country, you know, contact us. We want to be able to pass on these resources and this this wisdom so that instead of this type of pastoral and lay counseling being a rare uh, exception, more and more we trust it will be uh, available, you know, in communities across the country where people who are having problems, especially in these last days, as problems get worse and society uh, unravels in terms of its morals, that we certainly need um, Christ-centered pastor and lay counseling, don't we? You can reproduce that and use it any way you want. Well, I really appreciate you allowing me to talk to you, and uh, I just hope it does some good. Yes, sir. Al, why don't you um, close this conversation in prayer for those that may listen to this recording that God would lead and direct in their lives? Father, we do praise you, and we worship and adore you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've uh, given your life not only for us, but given your life to us, that, that we can live that life, Lord, with you and allow you to work in and through us. And I just pray, Lord, that more and more people will be exposed to that truth and that your Holy Spirit will lead them to not only understand but to walk in these truths. And so we just surrender ourselves to you now again and ask, Lord, that you do whatever you want to us and through us. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.